So uh, I wonder which of those three you are. I wonder if you're a cup half full or a cup half empty kind of person. We've been thinking about that over the course of this series, which I hope will become clear as we go through the next few minutes together. I brought with me today one of my uh, most precious possessions in all the world. Given to me, I was just looking at the inscription in February 20, uh, 20, uh, 2014. Let's get it right. February 2014. And it's a Bible, but it's a Bible written in a language called Creo. And uh, Creo is the language of Sierra Leone. And I have a great friend called Abs, and we've got a picture of him here, I think. This is my uh, friend Abs. This is Abs meeting Princess Anne. Uh, this is Abs with his eldest son, Isaac, who's my godson as well. This is my great friend Abs, and Abs lives now in Sierra Leone. And I got given this uh, Bible uh, when we were on a trip there, and we've been a few times actually, and we were on a trip, and I got presented with this very special uh, Bible. Now, Abs has got the most amazing story. And uh, Abs, uh, when he was five years old, living in Sierra Leone, lost the use of both of his legs to polio. And uh, so Abs has to use crutches uh, and has done since he was five years of age. But Abs was always passionate about education. And uh, even when he was a primary school age kid living with his uncle, he was so passionate about getting to school, he used to crawl a mile to school and a mile home again every day on all fours with his uh, school bag hung around his neck. He did that for about 18 months. Eventually, he was able to go to a residential school then called the Leonard Cheshire Home in Freetown, and he stayed there and got education there. But many years later, he really wanted to come to the UK to study. That's very difficult uh, for somebody from Sierra Leone. He wrote to a whole load of administrations tutors at colleges and universities here in the UK. And his letter appeared on the desk of a lady called Margaret. And Margaret's mum was called Dorothy Springer. And they started corresponding, and a very long story short, uh, in the end, Dorothy paid for Abs to come to the UK to study. And Abs got his first degree, and then he got his PhD from Loughborough University. Really uh, bright guy. And he thought the UK government was sponsoring him. But actually, all the time, it was this lady, Dorothy Springer. Anyway, I met Abs uh, leading uh, our previous church when Abs started coming to our church. And not long after that, Dorothy Springer died. And it was revealed to Abs after she'd passed away what she'd done for him. It turns out £100,000 Dorothy Springer had spent so that Abs could get his degree and his doctorate. Now, I want you to imagine you receive that kind of news that somebody had done something like that for you. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Something so amazing that somebody's kind of set uh, that up for you. And, and actually, when you receive that kind of news, uh, I think you've got a choice. Abs had a choice. Abs could have said, thank you very much. That's brilliant. I'm going to get on with the rest of my life, living in the UK, all of that kind of stuff. And that would have been totally fine. And I think that may have well been of what Dorothy uh, kind of expected. Or... He could do something different. As I say, I wonder if you've ever had that kind of experience where something has been so impactful, had blown you away so much, either you can't help telling everybody about it, or it's changed the course of your life. I'm sure Will would say, as he's already told us this morning, that his illness has changed the course of his life. Something like that can do that for us. I remember reading many years ago an article written by a guy called Matthew Paris, who's a columnist for the Times newspaper, an atheist. And he said this, I found this so challenging. He said, if I believed what Christians believe, or even a half of what Christians believe, 
You couldn't stop me selling up everything I owned and going door to door to convince everybody about this amazing thing I had found. I found that incredible and really challenging for an atheist to write that. And it challenges me because uh, Christians, you see, believe this most amazing thing has happened. This uh, most incredible gift and offer has come from God. Way better even than £100,000 to get your degrees. And there's a question, what are we going to do with that? You see, when we meet God and start following Jesus, we are invited into something way bigger than us. And we can say, thank you, God, that's great, and crack on with our lives. Or we can recognize that we're being invited into something way bigger than that, way bigger than that. You know, in this series called Best Case Scenario, An Optimist's Guide to the Future, we've been asking, is there hope for a world that's in turmoil? Is there hope for a world that seems very chaotic and very broken and very lost? And we've been asking how people can bring hope into a world that feels dark. And uh, today we're asking, can we find compassion for others? Is there a way for us to be hope bringers to our lost and broken and hurting world? And if you're not a Christian, if you wouldn't say that you were a Jesus follower, if you're new to this whole kind of church thing, well, you're so welcome here because we want to be the kind of church where you can come and explore faith at your own pace. But we're hoping that this series introduces you to a God who can provide hope for you and hope for our world. And today we're going to be challenged with how we can partner with God to bring hope to the world. And if you're a Christian, well, this series is challenging, we hope you, to place your hope and trust in God, not in the powers of this world, to recognize that God does still actually have the whole world in his hands, even when it doesn't feel like that. And today we're talking about how we can join with God in his love and his compassion for our world. You know, one of the most famous verses in the whole of God's story in the Bible that we probably know whether we're church people or not church people is this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. For God so loved. You see, God has this incredible love and compassion for our world. And he invites us to share that with him. How does the world change? How can we partner with God to bring about hope? How can we partner with God to bring about hope in our world? Well, it's about showing compassion. When we find compassion and care for others, we are able, when we are able to lift our eyes beyond ourselves, then we bring hope. And I wonder if often we would actually spend more time angry at the world than we do in compassion for the world. And you see, anger at the world doesn't change anything. Compassion for the world is what changes it. I want to go to a story from the life of Jesus today where his first followers are invited by Jesus into this grand mission and this grand purpose to show compassion to the world, to find compassion uh, for others, where he invited them into something way bigger uh, than uh, just them. See, they had followed Jesus for three years. Jesus had had them on this kind of mission together, but then Jesus had died on a cross. Jesus was executed on a cross, and now they were afraid, and now they didn't know what the future would hold. And I want to go to an eyewitness account to these events, an eyewitness account from the life of Jesus, written by a guy called John that's in the New Testament part of the Bible. And this is, uh, uh, we hear this story of these first followers of Jesus who are gathered together in this moment where they are reflecting on Jesus's death and they are wondering what the future holds for them. 
It says this, John chapter 20, verse 19. It's going to appear on the screen uh, behind me. It's going to appear on your screen uh, online. If you've got a Bible, you can look it up. Or if you've got an app on your phone, you can do that too, however you want to follow. It says this, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So they are afraid. They've been following Jesus around, but now Jesus is dead. And they are afraid. So they are gathered together in this room with the doors locked. They are a mile away, uh, miles and miles away from being world changers. They're cowering people locked away for fear of their lives. And by the way, with good cause. Because their leader, Jesus, had been arrested and crucified, and they assumed that the authorities were after them next. And you see, fear, this is what fear does to us. Fear shrinks our world. Fear does that for us. When things happen that we feel worried about or insecure or afraid of, our world shrinks and it becomes just about us. Their world had shrunk and this amazing mission that Jesus had been on with them, well, that had gone by the by because now they were stuck together in a room with the doors locked. But as we've been discovering through this series, God often does his greatest work in the moments of most uncertainty. And this was one of those moments. This was one of those moments of uncertainty and fear and insecurity. And it is often in those moments that God does his greatest work. And what was true for them can be true for us too. In our moments of most insecurity and fear, God can often do his greatest work. And here again, God comes and does his greatest work because now Jesus comes and meets with them. He gives them a standard Hebrew greeting. He says, peace be with you. But it wasn't only a form of greeting. It was actually meeting their need because in the midst of their fear, what they needed was peace. So Jesus arrives and changes things for them. Now we read on into verse 20 of that same passage. It says this, After he, Jesus, said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. It's all quite matter-of-fact, this, isn't it? But it really shouldn't be that matter-of-fact because we should pause here just to remind ourselves what is going on. Jesus has been executed on the cross. He's died. He's been buried. And now he is standing in their midst. They had heard rumors Rumors of the stone rolled away from the empty tomb. They'd heard one of their closest friends, Mary, saying that she had met the risen Jesus, but they hadn't yet, and they weren't quite sure what was going on. They didn't know what to believe. They are still in fear, and suddenly Jesus has showed up in their midst. Can you imagine what that must have been like for them? And then Jesus shows them his hands and his side. He shows them the evidence for his resurrection from the dead. The hands where the nails were and the side where the spear went. And this is where it begins. This is where the bigger mission and the bigger plan and the bigger purpose that God has for them begins. This is where the transformation of this small group of scared, frightened, caring people into bold, passionate advocates for Jesus starts. This is where a movement that would spread across the whole world and 2,000 years later would still be growing and transforming nations and societies. This is where it would begin. This is where history changes and the story of Jesus starts to be shared. This is where it began for them and this is where, for those of us who would call us call ourselves Jesus followers, this is where it begins for us too. This is the bedrock and the foundation of the Christian faith. This is why I'm a Jesus follower. 
Like those first friends of Jesus, I've examined the evidence for his resurrection, and I find it compelling. You know, when people want to challenge the Christian faith, when you see the new atheists on the telly or on YouTube, when you hear people, and this may be true for you, when you, uh, people are challenging your faith if you're a Jesus follower, you know, they always want to start somewhere else than this. You know, they always want to start with those complex and difficult stories in the Old Testament. Or was the world literally created in seven days? Or what do you think about this ethical issue or that ethical issue? That's always where they want to start. And that's all fine. We can have conversations about that. I went to Bible college and studied that for three years. I mean, that's all fine. And we can have conversations about that if you want to have conversations about that. But the really important thing to say is that's not why I'm a Jesus follower. That's not where it begins. If a totally innocent man predicts his own death and resurrection, proclaimed innocent by the very man who sent him to the cross, Pilate, if that man then dies on a cross and rises again three days later, comes back to life and presents himself to hundreds of people, eyewitnesses who write down the records of what they've encountered, if he starts by uh, presenting himself resurrected from the dead to a few people and then to hundreds of people, and then a movement starts that 2,000 years later is still growing across the world, if that happens, I'm in. I mean, I'll try my best to figure out the rest of the stuff. I'll have conversations about that, I'll read some stuff about that, I'll listen to some of that stuff, but that isn't why I'm a Jesus follower. If a man predicts his own death and resurrection and then pulls it off, I'm in. And I'll listen to what he says and I'll try my very best to do the things he says I should do to live my life in the best possible way and I'll try to respond to the challenge that he presents before me to follow him with my life and to be part of his grand mission and his grand purpose. I'm in. And if you're a Jesus follower, this is your story. This should be why you're in too. I mean, that other stuff is significant and we can talk about that and that's great and we'll do that. But it's not the reason why you're a Jesus follower. Even Jesus dying on the cross is not the reason why you're a Jesus follower because other people died on crosses those days. The reason why you're a Jesus follower and the reason why you know about Jesus is because he rose from the dead. That's the reason why we know about him. It's not the, that's the reason why all those people in that room on that day changed from scared and cowering people to people who were overjoyed, we're told, and who went out and changed the world. They met the resurrected Jesus. This is the basis of the Christian faith. And if you're not a Jesus follower, I just want to tell you this. This is the reason why we follow Jesus. And this is the reason why we think you should follow Jesus too. So their fear turns into joy because they've met and encountered the resurrected Jesus. But then Jesus gives them a mission. John says this, after he said this, after he showed them the evidence and he showed them his hands and his side, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Here's the mission, you see. As the Father sent Jesus, so he is sending them. So the question on their mind should be, and the questions on our mind should be, well, how was Jesus sent then? Well, the really good news is we know how Jesus was sent because he told us one day a very small man 
wanted to see uh, Jesus. He was a tax collector. So he climbed a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus saw him up the tree and said, I'm coming to stay with you. And everybody else was cross about it because they all hated him. His name was Zacchaeus. They all hated him because he was a tax collector. And they all muttered and murmured and said, who is Jesus to be spending time with this person? And Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. So we know why Jesus was sent. He was sent to seek and to save the lost direct from his mouth, his own words, he told us. And then on another occasion, when some of Jesus' friends, some of them who were in this room actually, were arguing about who the most important one was amongst them, Jesus stood in the middle and in a mic drop moment where they're all talking about who's the most important, said, I have come not to be served, but to serve. I mean, like, mic drop. How bad did they all feel, by the way? Well, how was Jesus sent? We know because he told us. Motivated by compassion, obeying what his father asked of him, he was sent to save, to seek and to save the lost, and to serve. That's his mission. So when he says to his followers, go, I'm sending you out as I was sent, they knew their marching orders. It was to save and to serve. And Jesus equips them and empowers them for that purpose. As you read on in verses 22 and 23, it says, And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you, give, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. See, they are equipped. Jesus breathes onto them this gift of the Holy Spirit, which is God's presence with them to equip them. And we get like an illusion here, a, a kind of a connection to what happens at the very beginning of God's story when God breathes life into human beings. And here you see, I I don't think this is a coincidence that Jesus breathes on them this gift of the Holy Spirit because it comes back to that connection from the very beginning of the story of people, of humanity, where God breathes life into them. You see, there is life here. This is where life exists, when the Holy Spirit lives in them and empowers them for this mission and equips them. And then Jesus says, go out and forgive sins. And when you forgive sins, they will be forgiven. See, Jesus empowers them to go out. It's still God that does the forgiving. Don't miss that. But they are empowered to go out and share the good news of Jesus with those that they meet. You see, what Jesus had been doing in a limited geographical area, because he was just one person, he is now saying, I'm sending all of you out to do what I've been doing here to the world. And so they are now sent When my friend Abs found out this amazing news about what Dorothy Springer had done for him, he had that choice we alluded to earlier. He could have said, thank you very much, and cracked on with his life. Or he could show the same kind of compassion that was shown for him to others. And I'm so grateful that's what he chose. So he gave up his life in the UK, gave up his flat in the UK and headed back to Sierra Leone, which is a really tough place to live and really, really tough if you have a disability like his. He started a charity called the Dorothy Springer Trust in her name. And uh, he and the people who work with him in that charity, they train disabled young people in Sierra Leone in IT skills. He started an employment agency because jobs are hard to come by in Sierra Leone, almost impossible to come by if you have a disability. 
And 75% of the people who graduate from that program of training and education with the Dorothy Springer Trust end up in employment. The first disabled police officer in the whole of West Africa is a graduate from the Dorothy Springer Trust program and works in IT in the police force in Sierra Leone. I have met people, disabled young people, who were begging on the streets and showed us the streets where they sat begging who are now in jobs because of their graduating and because of what ABS has done for them. It's the most extraordinary thing. See, ABS recognized that what had been done for him, he could do for others. There was a grander mission that he would be called into, he was being called into. See, Jesus achieved this extraordinary thing, this defeat of death and the restoration of a relationship between God and people. That's what we've been celebrating this morning with Will, that Will has found that. It's the most extraordinary gift and the most extraordinary offer. But Jesus calls his followers, people who respond to that offer, to be part of the mission of God, to take what he has done and share it with the world. You see, God has a mission to the world. See, God, motivated by compassion, looks upon our lost and broken world and desires to see it restored and redeemed. And because God has a mission motivated by his love and compassion for our world, God sends his one and only son, Jesus. And Jesus was very clear about his mission and his purpose to save that which was lost and to serve those who were desperately in need. And Jesus says to those who are saved and who are rescued, you aren't simply saved to say thank you and crack on with your life. You are saved for a purpose and a reason. There is a mission that you are saved into. As Jesus was sent, so you are sent, so we are sent. And the mission is to save and to serve. And if you're not a Christian... I want you to know that to respond to the life-transforming message of Jesus is to be called into a grand mission to the world. To reach out with the love of God to the lost, the lonely, and the hurting. To be called to partner with God to save and to serve. And God will equip you and equip me with this amazing gift of the Holy Spirit, his presence to live in us, to give us real life and to empower us and equip us for that purpose that he has called us to. And if you're a part of Andover Baptist Church, I want to say to you, this is our priority as a church. This is the mission that we are on together to equip people to find and follow Jesus. And we do that because we believe that the goal of the Christian life is that we should become ever more like Jesus. And we are never more like him than, we are be, than when we are being sent as he was sent. When we are seeking to help people find the love of Jesus for them and to serve our world. And we're a church, and there are many of them, churches like ours that prioritize reaching and serving lost people, people who don't know God, people who are desperately in need. They are, by the way, the best place for people who are Jesus followers to grow spiritually for just that reason, because we are never more like Jesus than, we are, than when we are sent as he was sent the best thing you and I can do, and sometimes people ask me this, they say, What's, what can I do to grow more spiritually? How can you help me go deeper in my faith? How can you help me grow in my faith? And I've realized the answer should be this. 
We're going to help you by inviting you into this grand mission that God has called us into. And we're going to help you do that by prioritizing as a church, seeking and saving the lost and serving a broken world. That's the best thing we can do for you to help you grow in your faith. That's the best thing that can happen to me to help me grow in my faith. And by the way, this is true for people who are exploring faith too. We have lots of people who are part of our church community who are exploring faith while seeking to reach out and to serve the world will draw you closer to God. I have no doubt about that at all. We are called together into this grand mission. We are saved for a purpose. And as we go about our lives, we're called by Jesus to remember that we are sent as he was sent to save and to serve. So let's look out for opportunities this day and this week to do just that. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this amazing gift of Jesus, this amazing offer that you extend to us through him, that we can be rescued and redeemed, we can be brought into a relationship with you, that through his death and resurrection he showed that death is not the end. There is a life beyond this one. There is a hope for both now and for eternity. Thank you that Jesus makes a way through his death on the cross for us to be restored in our relationship with you. And I pray for anybody here today who maybe want to experience that for the first time and maybe is experiencing that for the first time today. Draw close to them, I pray, and give them courage in that next step in their journey of faith. Thank you that we have got today to celebrate with Will that step that he has taken to follow you. And Lord God, for those of us who would say we are Jesus followers, challenge and inspire us with that amazing invitation to partner with you in reaching out to a lost and lonely world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.